Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater, your movie podcast for the dredge of the Hollywood machine. The stuff that gets spit out and everybody wants to forget about. But maybe not in this case. Uh, so, I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me as always is... Catherine! And this week we're here to talk about a very special film. Uh, a film from one of Hollywood's most bankable stars, based solely on one property, and that would be Fast and Furious. Um, but we're not going to talk about the Fast and Furious movies, although we probably Thank could. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> we probably could. There's a lot of trash in there. Um, but no, we're going to talk about another Vin Diesel project, one of the Vin Diesel projects in between the Fast and Furious projects, and that is 2015's Last Witch Hunter, a mm. purely original property developed by Vin Diesel, for Vin Diesel, <laughs> produced by Vin Diesel, starring Vin Diesel, um, a project that apparently was very close to his uh, heart. Um, for Vin some Diesel reason. Is a, he's a, he's a, he was one of the early sort of, you know, action stars in Hollywood to, you know, openly admit his love for uh, role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons and presumably their video game variants. But um, he, he was very open about that early in his career and had basically made, he had, he had basically made it known for a long time, I like this kind of stuff. If anybody has something like this, I'm down, right? Like those seemed like that was kind of the idea. And, and he was the, just sort of making it known so that if projects arose, he would he would be in the conversation. You know? And the thing is, you don't look at a fantasy property and think Vin Diesel. You just don't. Yeah. He didn't get a lot of those roles because he's just not the person who comes to mind. You know who does come to mind is somebody like Sean Bean. Well, could, sure. Whenever you think fantasy, you think of someone like that. Yeah, but you've not, got Lord of the Rings, you've got Black Death, you've obviously got Game of Thrones. But, but, but not Vin yeah. Diesel. Vin Diesel's a little bit harder sell in the fantasy world, but he's tried so many times he to has. make himself Vin a Diesel. fantasy star. Um, And this is sort of, you can see a little bit, he's kind of trying to do what he did with the, the Riddick series, right? He's kind of, you know, the Riddick series started as as David Toohey's thing, and then Diesel has sort of like, positioned himself as the exec producer of that series he's now heavily invested in it apparently there's another one that they're trying to get off the ground uh very famously he self-financed the last riddick movies where he told people he mortgaged his house to pay for it <laughs> that kind of stuff and and oh. that's all well and good um uh you know i i hope that he doesn't you know lose his his very large and very tight shirts over such things yeah. but um but this seems like another opportunity or another you know he's trying to do that again he's trying to create another franchise and in terms of hollywood this is not a bad idea you want to be diversified he has obviously had all of his eggs in the fast and furious basket for quite some time but now you can tell he's he's trying to do some other things so in 2015 in between projects uh in between fast and furious i, I don't remember we, this would have been like fast and furious five and six i guess in between that time frame um, couldn't tell you <laughs> he makes he makes this he makes the last witch hunter um 
It's directed by Breck Eisner, who is a sort of workmanlike director for hire in Hollywood, very famously the son of Michael Eisner, former CEO of Disney. Um, or chairman of Disney. I don't remember one of those. He may have been both at at various points, but Michael Eisner, the Disney man throughout most of the nineties, you know, steered it through its Renaissance, then its second crash post Renaissance. And then, you know, onto the the current Iger era of multinational (laughs) multi-market dominance in Mm. all areas. Um, so uh, Breck Eisner is not a director that I think anybody would would if, if you saw him in a lineup apart from his it's looking very much like his father. You would not be like, who is that guy? Right. Um, he hasn't made a ton of movies. He did make the uh, Dirk Pitt adaptation with Matthew McConaughey back in the mid 2000s called Sahara, which I actually did enjoy. It's a totally solid little workable, you know, comedy action film. Um, and then he did make the remake of The Crazies with Timothy Oliphant and Rod Mitchell in uh, 2010, it was, which was, uh, was was good. It was I mean, fine. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not a big fan of, of The Crazies in its original form either. I, you know, it's it's sort of lesser Romero for me. It's a cool idea. He does his Romero thing with it. And it's, you know, certainly got indelible moments. Um, but the remake of it seemed kind of essential it was just very bland yeah i mean like, apart from having timothy oliphant in it which you know he yeah, adds a little bit of spice to everything um <laughs> i remember it, it the, didn't really the have opening much is what really stuck with me and then i kind of forget mm-hmm. the rest of the movie yeah i mean there's just some stuff at a convenience store slash truck stop towards the end that's okay um it it, it sort of loses steam and, and the original did too like it's a very strong premise, very strong opening, and then it just kind of fumbles its way to its end because it's a downer. Like it's a huge downer <laughs> ending. It's, it's not like a, yeah, it's not like a we did it, guys, we saved the world. It's like no, we're to be true. fair. Most of George Romero's films are bummers. I mean, there's not mm-hmm. a lot of not a lot of good feelings toward the end of any of them. No. He's he's okay with being a bummer director, and that's fine. So so Eisner's got this kind of spotty history um with filmmaking uh i watched some of the behind the scenes stuff for this and and you know he seemed very game i think there are some cool shots in this in general it looks pretty cool i think it's got a nice aesthetic um especially when we're in kind of like the witchy environments uh (laughs) and and you know there are some some cool things going on but it's it's also trying to be a sort of sideways superhero film I don't think it really gets there, and I, I don't think it was a good idea to lean heavily into those elements. But um, so I guess you know Eisner's directing. It's written by Corey Goodman, who apparently did most of the heavy lifting on the screenplay, and and Goodman hasn't really done much else. Uh, but there was some finishing done by Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless who on this script. Apparently, also worked f- on Gods of Egypt. They did. Too. I had to mention that they've they've been featured in one of our. One of our episodes before for their stunning work in Gods of Egypt. Uh, They also did Dracula Untold, which was the, was it Luke Evans? Is that that guy's name? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which was, yeah, Luke Evans, which was the, we've already talked about Tom Cruise's The Mummy, but the first film in that rebooted dark universe was actually Dracula Untold, which was, um, their attempt to sort of revamp the Dracula mythos for modern times, which did and not work. 
<laughs> and the the only thing I will say about Dracula Untold is that I have attempted to watch that film four times. And every time I get to about 15 minutes in and out of sheer unbelievable boredom, I fall asleep every time. Um, like the, the opening is fine. It's like a little kid. I guess it's supposed to be Dracula's son. <laughs> Who knew? Um, <laughs> narrating like my dad was known as Vlad the Impaler. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're real proud of that, huh? Real proud of Papa's impaling work. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, it's not good, but they wrote that one too. Aren't they also the writers for that Morbius movie? Um, they were involved in it somewhere. I think they did a very early script. I'm sorry, but, but that I movie don't... looks like dog shit. Like I, oh, and the, I just... the initial, yeah, this, this is, uh, we're recording this on, uh, in late March, the 27th, the Morbius has not yet come out, but the. All of the early responses from like, you know, the, the TikTokers who've been allowed to see it or whatever um, is bad. It's real bad. Um, I'm sorry. At this point, if you hit your wagon to Jared Leto's star at this point, you are just ne- you don't know what you're going to get. You might get a totally solid performance from a, a mid-tier actor or you might get some of the craziest bullshit you've ever seen on screen and something and Based on the trailers, I'm like, oh, this is crazy bullshit, Jared Leto. So, no thank you. Yeah, the, I mean, the I'll probably that was, see it eventually, but the trailer that was terrible. in front of the Batman was bad, real bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a, a lot of, re- I mean, one Morbius is not a great character and never was. He's not a bad character by any stretch. Like, you know, he was one of the initial guys to work with Blade, which, of course, Blade's its own animal, but. Um, yeah, it's just, it seems like a bad idea. So they've, they've been involved in that. They're, they're basically the Hollywood go to like cleanup guys. They're not necessarily who you're going to hire to do the heavy lifting, but there might be the guys you hire to do your final pass. Sort of like where Chris Terrio was for years, you know, after the pirates movies and everything, he would just come in and kind of, you know, clean the script up. Of course, the last time he cleaned a script up was rise of Skywalker. And <sighs> Oh man! Don't you like Star Wars? We, we, we tried, we, we tried to watch Rise of Skywalker the other day because I have it in 4K. I got the 4K version, um, and it is a very good-looking film. I will say that it is an excellent-looking Star Wars film. Um, very high quality, very high fidelity. But that movie is is difficult. It is a challenge to well, watch. Star Wars is um, terrible. So. <laughs> Uh, it's been rendered mediocre by, by, I mean, like, what are there? 12 movies? I only liked three of them. So, um, I think that means I don't like Star Wars. It's by, by sheer percentages. Yeah. Um, the shows are, are definitely good. I I know we've talked about those before, but in any case, focusing on the last witch hunter, um, not the best pedigree for, for the source material. And and that is one thing I did want to note. This is an original film it is not based on anything it's not a comic book it wasn't a novel series like but it feels like it's based on the original idea it does it has like a decent amount of world building and a good understanding of the world that it's trying to to convey which generally films that sort of get spun up like this that's where they lack right they don't take the time 
to sort of top to bottom imagine the world. And and I, I think one of the weaknesses of this film is that we're getting a very narrow sliver of that world. We really don't get much of it, but that's kind of the nature of the story they're telling too. Um, so let's let's briefly recap the the story itself um, and and all of its dieselicious qualities. Uh, in essence, the last witch hunter is very evocative as a title. It tells you pretty much what you're getting here. Um, I I debate the name the last witch hunter because that implies that at one time there were others, but we're pretty clearly shown that he's the only one that's ever done this. Um, of a sort, I guess it depends how you kind of interpret the opening. So this film is about uh, Calder, who is Vin well with character. a K. Calder with a K. That's right. Um, from a nebulous cool. European country, it is cool. It's very cool. <laughs> he's he's from Europe. Um, at sometimes it seems like they might be English. <laughs> he's, Other he's times from, it seems... he's from Europe, and the map is like just a great big. All the a... countries blended together with Europe, and it's spelled with a and Y. We don't. We yeah, Europe. Europe. We don't know because <laughs> at times he seems British, and there are people surrounding him who are definitely British, and then at other times they seem to be conveying him as some kind of Viking. It's it's very. Those are basically all the same, right? <laughs> I think it's I, th I think they wanted to express this idea that he was from a time period in Europe because he's supposed to be like eight hundred something years old. He's from a time period in Europe, like before nations really started to to form, which is ridiculous. But yeah, but so like it's just this very nebulous dark ages fantasy. Well, it, it's book, it's kind of know? the the pitfall of of having this very. Dungeons and Dragons type fantasy setting is that mm. that doesn't really have a tie to any specific culture. It takes things from a whole bunch of cultures. So that's that's right. what this it, did. By itself, it is a pastiche. So you're yeah. you're pastiching off a pastiche. But it's really just... hard when you try to put that in the real world somewhere and we're like, where is this? Where's this <laughs> what happening? What country is like, this? How, where are you from? Like, who are all these people? Why are they speaking English? <laughs> Um, where did this giant tree grow? So Calder is it, at one point was a member of a group of, of people who were hunting a witch, right? In this world, there are witches there. They are, it, they're very nature based sort of magic. Like it's, which is very cool. I actually really like that. Like they're, they're sort of, you know, a little bit of like the, almost like the, the Baba Yaga style, witch, right? Just these disfigured Ugly creatures witches. that have all these weird powers. Um, you know, not the very sort of like modern conceptualization of witches in the traditional sense, but although we do get a bit of that later on. But so um, at, at some point in the nebulous past, he and a group of people went to find this witch in a giant Yggdrasil tree somewhere in a frozen plain. They fought her. Um, they killed her, but he was cursed by her uh, <laughs> during this final confrontation to live forever which seems counterproductive. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you have your assassin be the one that you wanted to curse to live forever? But that's that's basically what happens. Um, so then we pick up 800 years later, and now Calder is an immortal, undying witch hunter who travels around the world maintaining what is generally referred to as what the balance, the peace, something like that. And in essence, it, he is the the tipping point between the world of witches, which has been allowed to continue because you can't really stop it. And then um, the Axe and Cross, who are supposed to be like Catholic, I guess. I guess they're Catholics. I, well, again, there's, it's I guess they maybe, would hate witches. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, historically speaking, they don't um, like him. They don't like him. Not big fans. And so he he now is the one if a witch gets out of line uh, because like <laughs> what the rule is that they can't use their magic on humans. They can use it on themselves. They can use it on the natural world as long as it doesn't interfere with or harm the regular folk. He's the witch police. Right. So it's, I mean, it's basically Harry Potter, right? Yeah. It's like the ma- maintain the secret and he's the policing agent yeah. because he can't be killed. So the witches can't hurt him. They can stab him. They can shoot him. They can cast spells at him, you know, do all kinds of things, but he cannot die under any circumstances. Um, they never address the Highlander. Can his head be cut off thing? <laughs> Although, cause I like, but we do see him recover from some pretty traumatic injury over yeah. the course of this without, you know, much difficulty. So probably his head um, could continue just like in a jar. Uh, yeah, that'd be um, cool. So it would be kind of sequel neat. idea. <laughs> the, the head jar, witch hunter. <laughs> Maybe there's another witch hunter we haven't met yet. Who has a head in a jar somewhere and he just offers advice and <laughs> or, or he hangs him on his belt. You know, like, uh, oh, the the head from God of War. Yeah. Mimir, right? He's Mimir, right? He's just the guy, like, offering advice on your belt. Hey, witch hunter, why don't you go left? <laughs> um, anyway, so now he uh, is assisted by a Dolan, uh, who is a, a priest that is his sort of, like, personal handler and archivist slash documentarian. Um, and there have been 36 Dolans. Uh, and and I guess this is based. There was a priest with him during the initial confrontation, and so now there there's always a Dolan, uh, played here by none other than Michael Caine. Yeah, uh, slumming for another pool at his Italian house. I guess is is what um, Michael Caine is. Although in in the behind the scenes stuff, he says he he did actually have a lot of fun. He doesn't get to make these kinds of movies that often anymore. He said, and and he actually really enjoyed working with with Vin Diesel to, to do these. Cause he's, you know, he's not really doing much. He's mostly sitting in comfortable chairs, you know, um, as he you know. should be at his age, <laughs> yeah, take exactly. a load off Michael Caine. You've worked hard. That's enough. right. Here's this lovely high backed leather chair. Just have a seat <laughs> in this. We're going to film you for, for a couple of hours and then you can go home and, you know, purchase, you know, a, that infinity pool that you've been wanting. It's <laughs> <laughs> your Brazilian Vista forever. Um, but whatever. Uh, so he's there, he plays Dolan and he's actually lovely as usual. And we, we meet Calder at sort of a time of transition. Um, the, his current Dolan, Michael Caine wishes to retire, sort of spend the rest of his days you know, doing what he wants instead of being with Calder all the time. So they've found a new Dolan that they're going to swear in played by Elijah Wood for reasons. And he was available. He was available. <laughs> he he's he he wears a, a lovely, you know, very tight cropped haircut. I love Elijah um, Wood. I do too. And he's really good in this. I actually really like him a lot. He gets most of the humor, although he's not technically the humorous sidekick. He does get a lot of it. Um but the over the course of events, uh, the retiring Dolan is dies under mysterious circumstances and the investigation of his death leads Calder to basically a, a mystery that may have, you know, something that has resurged from his past. Um, and, and, uh, the, the witches are attempting to, to bring back that he needs to stop. Uh, so over the course of this adventure, he will meet a young woman named Chloe, who is a witch, uh, who specializes in potions and, dreaming and that kind of thing played by rose leslie who was we were 
right in the middle of Game of Thrones run and she was hot, hot, hot. Um, I think that has cooled somewhat. <laughs> um, but she's in here. I, I don't love her in this, but she's okay. Um, and, and in essence, you know, Vin Diesel has to unravel the mystery before time runs out and stop the, the threat as only the last witch hunter can. Um, so that's our, our basic synopsis. So I guess we'll, uh, did you have any, any thoughts about it before we get into our, our, you know, sort of full breakdown? Um, I don't think any specific thoughts, mostly just how do you get all of these people in a room to make a movie? <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. I mean, again, this is sort of, something you don't really see in Hollywood that much anymore. An original property with a decent budget. I mean, this was like 80 million, 90 million budget, which I mean is not a small amount. It's not, it's not huge. I mean, it's still that sub 100 million range where you can kind of get away with anything as long as you stay on budget. But it's, it's still rare to see a studio throw this kind of money at what amounts to a completely untested project. And so you can tell this mostly happened because of Vin Diesel and his star cachet, um, which he does still have. I mean, Fast and Furious is a $7 billion franchise or whatever now. Um, you know, so that, that gets you a lot of leeway in Hollywood. Um, another film of his that I would like to cover on this show eventually is, is one that came out during the pandemic, which was Bloodshot, based on a Valiant comic book that I actually do have quite a bit of fondness for. Um, but it was kind of the same thing with that. Now that was based on a property, but it was still, it basically happened because Vin Diesel, you know, said, let's do this. And so this, he seems to kind of have this track record of trying stuff, right? He's, he's not just content to stay within the comfortable confines of the Fast and Furious franchise. He is trying to branch out, to expand, to try things, to, you know, build as, franchises. As weird and cringy and as good, Vin Diesel you know? can be, I do like that about him. I like that. Yeah, it was cool. his idea to be in this movie, even if this movie is not that good. I like that this was his idea. Yes, it gives the movie something. It almost feels like the it almost feels like the old studio system, right? Where you built a movie around an actor. Yeah. To take advantage of that actor's particular skills, right? People just you know, want to see Vin Diesel in various situations. Right. You know, people just wanted to see Cary Grant. People just wanted to see Spencer Tracy. People just liked that person, um, you know, Catherine Hepburn. Like, and you, so you, you build these movies, you know, maybe you've got a script floating around from some you know, up and coming writer coming in from the Midwest. You know, maybe <laughs> you've got one of those guys, but, but ultimately you're just saying, okay, we have this likable lead actor. What can we put them in? Oh, a, a bunch of travel movies where they just traveled all these different cool locations. We'll go, go there. We'll shoot it. And, you know, mom and pop in, the, in you know, St. Louis under the arch will be like, oh, wow, that Italian Riviera is beautiful, you know, because they're just going to go see it because he's in it. And so it's it's very much reminiscent of of that idea. It's like, well, what what can we develop for this person as opposed to we have this project? Is this person right for it? And and so, like, I'm not saying it's better because, I, again, I don't know if Vin Diesel's really the best person for this role. I can think of other actors I mean, even somebody like Joe Manganiello or, or somebody who also has like a love of D&D, like just visually being more this guy. Yeah. But, but you know, it wouldn't have happened without somebody like Vin Diesel behind it. So you kind of have to balance that out. And, um, you know, so in general, you know, just sort of initial reactions to this, this is a, a pretty fun movie. Uh, there's some good action in it. 
very solid. I don't think it's shot especially well, although there are a couple of scenes that, that look pretty good. It's pretty slight. That would be my other issue. The world building is good, but what's actually happening, like the story of this film is really simple, yeah. like really simple <laughs> to the point that I'm like, I was kind of like, is there more to this? Is there, is there, are there other things that are going to happen? It was another one of those and movies where I was don't. like, is the movie going to start? Like, when is it going to start? And then I look down and right. it's like, oh, the movie is officially started. <laughs> It has begun. It is going. It has been going for quite some time. This is um, the movie. <laughs> yeah, just it. I was waiting for like another twist or another. I mean, not that every movie has to have a twist. I don't want to make it sound like that, but I was just waiting for another. Oh, like what's the next element? What's the next layer of this story that's going to come in and sort of like add add that next level of weight? And it just never materializes. It just doesn't yeah. really happen. So it, it's. It's a fairly satisfying payoff, although I feel like the final action sequence is a bit of a letdown, given that the movie's pretty low key up until that point. So I was kind of like, well, you know, limited budget. So, you know, the movie's going to be pretty restrained and then the ending will be big. And no, it's not, yeah. it's not really that big either. Um, so there's a little bit of, you know, disappointment on my part there. But I, I like I liked this movie uh, way more than I expected to. Um, you know, Vin Diesel is not an immediate sell for me. Uh, again, I will always have a special affection for the Riddick franchise because literally the first film I ever watched on a digital versatile disc was Pitch Black. Um, I, and I, I think I've told this story before, but like, you know, my wife and I, we lived in this tiny apartment. I had a, a pretty decent computer monitor. Our TV was garbage, but I had a pretty decent computer monitor with some like surround sound speakers that I had. I think I'd pulled most of it out of the garbage, if we're being honest. Like, that's probably where it came from. I thought it was nice. It wasn't that nice. But we we went to a video store, and we were like, and I had a DVD-ROM in my computer. I was like, let's get a DVD and watch a movie. And the only one they had was Pitch Black. It was the only thing in. And so we rented Pitch Black, and we sat, and we watched that movie on my, like, 17-inch computer monitor. But I remember thinking, my God, it's so crisp. It's so clear. It looks so good. And, and I so really like I'll like always have Pitch affection Black. for that. I actually really oh, yeah. enjoyed Pitch that Black movie. Is it's really not good. I wouldn't call it a a great movie, but it's a it's a fun movie. Yes. And I oh, think yeah. that's and Vin what Diesel's Vin great Diesel in it. does. I think he just makes fun movies. And I hope yeah, he never stops having fun. He seems like one of those actors who is very interested in just doing property or making films and properties that he himself enjoys. And that is cool. And it's cool that he has the cachet within Hollywood to get those kinds of things done. Um, this movie was a moderate success. Um, again, this was, it was budgeted fairly tightly given that it was marketed as like a big budget action film. Um, it ended up making about 150 million worldwide. So it, it doubled its money, which in Hollywood is the general rule of thumb for, okay, you, you were profitable. Maybe not excessively so, but you made, you made money. And so um, there has been some rumbling that now that Diesel is is moving into the final phase of Fast and Furious, I, I guess the last one's going to be 10. That's like the big send off or whatever. I they mean, they went to space that. already. They went to space already. What else are you going to do? I mean, are, are you going to send them to Mars in cars? Is that what they're going to do? Well, that would one rhyme. The, was one of it would <laughs> um, cars, Mars cars, Mars cars while eating Mars bars. Uh, what happen. I think it's going to be is I think, you know, that Tesla that Elon Musk shot into space, 
they've had a camera on it the whole time for Fast and Furious, and then they're going to reveal that the dummy or mannequin in it has actually been Vin Diesel. The whole yeah, time. he's, he's been in there, there. And, hanging out. And that's going to be like the big reveal of Fast and Furious 10. I like might actually the see test- the movie. <laughs> the Tesla Roadster that's headed to Mars actually has Vin Diesel in it. He was there all along. Um, but, you know, he he has, he has, again, not been content to just sort of rest on the laurels of that franchise, and he's trying to do other things, and he's trying to create new properties that people get excited about. So there have been some rumblings that once all of the Fast and Furious stuff is, is wrapped up, that he wants to return and do a second Witch Hunter film. Which they certainly leave it open for. I mean, obviously, you know, again, this is basically a superhero movie. This is a Marvel film without any of those trappings. Um, you know, made by people who sort of, well, it sort of reminds me of, um, did you ever see Battleship? No. The Peter Berg movie based on the board game. I did not. <laughs> okay. Um, it's on Netflix right now. So I, I don't know if you still have Netflix, but if you do, at least go watch the first 20 minutes. I'm not going to say watch the whole thing because it's terrible. Like it is terrible, but it's Peter Berg, who is himself a very good filmmaker. Friday Night Lights and, and um, uh, what was it? The Kingdom. <laughs> he did that one with. Uh, it would have been funny if you good, couldn't think of any others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Friday Night Lights um, and uh, and uh, well, uh, some other <laughs> stuff. Uh, uh, you know, movies. You know, movies, right? Um, but it's Peter Berg trying to be Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. desperately and um it's it's one of those things when you watch people imitate michael bay you realize how good michael bay is at doing what he does and I'm then you hate that that, yourself because you just said that michael that bay is, is good, good. <laughs> i know i'm not going to say that what he does is good but what michael bay does he does better than anyone else it's true and so he changed movies i mean he really did oh he did yes not like for the michael better. bay's no, <laughs> but he changed them, and and they they are different. There yeah. is a pre Michael Bay and a post Michael Bay period in Hollywood. Mm. And that is undeniable. Um, now it, again, what that means we don't have to get into, but <laughs> but this is Breck Eisner trying to be like a Marvel director, right? Like he's trying to do that. He's trying to emulate that style. And as a workman, you know, sort of director in Hollywood who takes projects and then sort of just applies himself to them without necessarily any sort of specific milieu or style that he works in. He's sort of one of those directors that's primed to do that kind of thing. Right. Like I would I'm shocked that Breck Eisner hasn't directed a Marvel film because he seems like the type of director that especially early days Marvel would have loved to work with. Right. Just that kind of guy who's going to come in and kind of do what he's told, bring enough to the table to be interesting and then kind of move on. Um, like Alan Taylor for Thor 2, right? Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Um, so this is, is a, it, this is a bit of an imitation, right? This is a film that is imitating other things that are popular. And so if you don't have much of a palette for that, if that kind of thing, you see it and you go, oh, geez, you know, another one of these, then this isn't going to be for you. It really isn't. Um, but I will say this, I, I had started this, and, and kind of had it on so we could review it. Um, I did just get a Blu-ray copy from from a friend um, that he was getting rid of it. And, like, hey, you, that and he's of like, thing. yeah, he's like, hey, do you want this? And and uh, it was actually Jared from Wild Pretty Things. Uh, he was recently did a move, and I was helping. And and he's like, hey, do you want any of these movies? And I was like, I'll take Last Witch Hunter. That sounds sounds right. 
And uh, so I was watching it and, and my, my partner came in and sat down and it was a few minutes in, like, I think she had missed the, the opening opening or it was right at the end of him, like, you know, killing the witch queen with his flaming <laughs> sword. Cause that is one of the things he, he doesn't have a lightsaber, but he has a sword that he can click a button and it lights the blade on fire, which is very cool. I'm, I'm unsure of the mechanics of it. Is he like coating it in oil and then the oil gets ignited? It doesn't matter, but whatever. Um, so he kills the the witch. And so she was like right at that part. She's like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And and then it transitioned to modern day because in the opening, he's got like all these beards and, you know, braided, braided goatees, all this stuff. Like he looks like a Viking. Yeah. And then it it cut and, and you know, it's, it's just Vin Diesel, like he's shaved now and everything. And she's Vin like, Diesel oh, it's again. Vin Diesel. And she's like, oh, it's Vin Diesel. No, thanks. <laughs> she just kind of walked away. But she came back and, and she ended up finishing it. She ended up liking it way more than I expected. But I just, I love that reaction. It's like she didn't realize it was Vin Diesel because of all the, the hair and everything. And then when it was just Vin Diesel, she was like, oh, all right. <laughs> I'm done. So so if, if that's your reaction to Vin Diesel, maybe not good. But she did come back and, and she did like it. So. Um, I guess we'll get into spoiler territory here about 35 minutes in, uh, but tentatively, I will say, you know, if, if like the idea of a supernatural magic hunter guy, which is not as necessarily original one, that's, that's been around for a long time, um, executed fairly well. This is a movie that can do that for you. Um, it's, it's not super easy to come by like i said i watched it on blu-ray um but i think i think it's on hbo max at the moment pretty sure that that's the the place it's available so so if someone is interested and you do have an active hbo max subscription you should be able to watch it there um, but I guess we will get into a spoilers and uh, and talk about the film. All right. So, so the opening of the movie, as we said, is um, a, a flashback. We see Calder as as a, a human man prior to his cursing, uh, taking down the the witch queen. So let's let's talk a little bit about the aesthetics of what a witch is in this universe, which well, I think is an interesting ugly. take. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually really like the witch makeup at least. I uh, like Yeah, I thought that the the prosthetics were really good. She had um, you know, her face is is sort of scarred and pitted. I, the thing that they really lean into with all of the magic and the the sort of witch look in this is that it's all built around nature. And so the the witch queen, the sort of primary antagonist, she's tied to to trees. Um, and, and foliage, right? And so like her, her whole body in essence kind of looks like a, a warped tree trunk, like bark almost. Um, although she's also very bony. I don't know if you noticed, but her ponytail is a spinal column. Cool. I didn't know if it was like her, like a spine, like one of her own, like a secondary spinal column just growing out of her head. Or if it was like something she'd woven into, you know, her dreadlocks or hair or whatever. But she but wove it in there. It's a trophy. <laughs> it's a trophy, you know. And and so like we're introduced very quickly to, you know, Calder and his compatriots. They have come here to kill this this queen. Calder's family has been murdered, presumably by her or her followers. So they they've all got some skin in the game. Uh, there is a priest with them because, of course, you know, witches are evil, and I guess 
slash showing them crosses will have an effect. I don't know. It doesn't seem to, but you know, he's there. And, um, you know, there's a pretty decent fight scene. Again, he kills the witch and then she reaches into his chest, grabs his heart, curses him for all eternity. Right. And, and, you know, we sort of see the transfer of power. There's a nice sort of visual look to how energy moves and, and it's very consistent, which I appreciated. You know, it was a, maybe an unnecessary special effect, but it does kind of visually reinforce that there's been some kind of transfer of power. Um, and then we immediately flash forward to Calder on an airplane, right? And um, the we kind of see him at work. And so he's on this airplane. There's like you know, problems developing. They're getting a lot of uh, turbulence. And he figures out that there's a witch on the plane who might be you know, doing a spell. And I don't know. What, what did you think of this? scene because we really get kind of two introductions i my my initial thought watching the movie was why did we see the flashback why did we start here why not just start with him on the plane with with the young witch and then sort of because we get all of that flashback again multiple times throughout the film like at least twice we see that sequence again with additions so i, I was like well, why not just start with a dude on a plane you know addressing this way I, I like i like my movies to start in medias res I, I just I've, I've always liked that and when it done well i think it's really effective and i, I don't know what was most, your reaction to sort of how the movie kicks off most of the flashback stuff could have just been relegated to a later dream sequence where he's remembering these things or layered into the introductions that he does with other characters so yeah i agree it felt like a sort of unnecessary introduction you know because it's very disconnected from the the scene on the airplane you know we just yeah move i mean from we, one thing to another really sharply it's a hard transition you know it, it i i understand i mean you want to establish the world for your audience establish somewhat of the stakes but i mean you all of the stuff that the opening explains right there was a witch Vin diesel killed her now he's immortal i mean that's really the the plot information that we get from that sequence all of that can be established very quickly via other means. Like it's just very quickly because the girl even says like he finds this witch on the plane who basically has these like weather runes, I think is what he, he says they are. And she just kind of slap hazardly put them together in her bag, not realizing that their proximity is what gives them their power. So diesel figures it out. He uses some, you know, a little bit of cool detective work to kind of figure out where the, it's almost like a compass slash divining rod to figure out like where the energy is coming from. And then he locates her and it's um, the actress was, was pretty popular at that time too. She was in the scream series. She played a character named Bex. Um, I, I remember she was in a bunch from of stuff, the but, killing. Yes. Yes. She was in that too. Um, so, I mean, just, you know, a nice little cameo from her and, and he sits down and they basically over the course of that conversation, she explains everything. She's like, Oh, you're the witch hunter. And he's like, yep. And, and, and so like they have this whole conversation about it. You could have explained all of that stuff there and then sort of move forward. But so we, we get a little introduction to Calder, his ability, his knowledge, which I do appreciate. He's not, they make some mention in the film throughout it that he's kind of like the ax and cross this, this agency, this group, he's their blunt instrument, right? He's their weapon. But what we actually see in that opening is that he's also a bit of a detective, which is kind of a nice angle. Right. He has to like know how this stuff works and be able to figure out how to stop it, which is cool. 
Um, and he's also, you know, he can solve problems, right? He's not just going to be like, there's a witch, pull my sword, I'll kill her. You know, <laughs> he's like, he's very much like, you know, you, you made a mistake. It's okay. I'm not here to kill you. Just be smarter. Like he's I'm trying a, to stop you from. He's, he's not a big, uh, beefy hero who just muscles his way in. They're trying to give him a little bit of depth, I suppose. Right. And that he has, there is some talk in the film that he has a kind of code. Like he doesn't just murder a witch for no reason. Like you really have to break whatever these bylaws are for witchy behavior for him to come after you and do that. That for the most part, he's there as, as a just, he's a magic cop. I mean, he's an enforcer, right? He's just the guy that makes sure that you're following the rules. And so there, I kind of like that. It gives him a more kind of procedural role instead of just murder, 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 which is, is more realistic. I think, I think if, if something, if some structure like this in the world did exist, then it would have to have some kind of rules governing it. It couldn't just be like, oh, send in the guy with the flaming sword and have him chop off heads until the problem's gone. And and so that that kind of worked for me. I, I think some of those elements, not great. You know, I mean, they're they're certainly not expanded upon. But this is a good opening. Like this this whole thing, and then it ends. There's a nice little tag on it where he hits on the stewardess or whatever, and immediately recognizes this distinct accent that she has because you know he's been everywhere he's been all around the world he's heard everything seen everything and he knows you know the moment that he hears you speak where your family's from and <laughs> where your grandpa grew up and you know whatever like it's again this is the superhero opening this is how you establish your superhero and and the film does it you know amiably enough like it's it's fine so the the engine of the plot really doesn't get moving again for a bit, which I liked. I liked that it didn't immediately jump into here is the problem. They kind of established Calder. They established Dolan, you know, Michael Caine's Dolan anyway. They've got a fun relationship. I, I One thing that my partner noted several times that she really liked, and I did too, is that Vin Diesel calls Michael Caine kid. Um, that's like his, his nickname for him because... You know, Vin Diesel. He's older. Eight hundred years old, but he looks younger. It's you know, it's a very simple thing, but that for me is is something that in film where you generally have very limited time to establish character relationships, so you have to be very careful and very specific about how you do it. Something like that, even though being a bit cheesy, is welcome, right? Because it it gives the characters a very quick shorthand. It helps you to understand their relationship and how they and what they mean to each other very quickly. And it's again, it's a cheesy film technique. It's like screenwriting 101 type material. But there's a reason why that stuff is included in screenwriting 101 is because it works. And in this case, it works right to establish this kind of amiable, jovial, close friend relationship that Michael Caine and and. Uh, Vin Diesel have because they don't have a lot of time to enact that one because Michael Caine is only going to be on set for three days like yeah that's all you got it for so you're going to have to make him you know put him to work and I, I don't know if that's true it seems like he was fully invested in the shoot but it's one of those things like you have limited time there are realistic practicalities to consider what are we going to do and so I kind of like that 
Um, we get uh, Vin Diesel, of course, lives in a beautiful apartment in New York City. He has like this awesome vault full of witch hunting weapons where he puts the weather runes. And that, of course, matters for just, later. Just once, you know, we get, I would like to have a character that's supposed to be like hundreds of years old, like a vampire or a witch hunter. I would like to see them not have a really luxurious apartment and just know, maybe right? have like a tent in Central Park. And they're like, I've lived here for 200 years. I'm <laughs> not leaving. Right. You know, it's again, it's one of those like de facto superhero things. You know, Dr. Strange will always have Bleecker Street, which is like that building's got to be worth like $400 million at this point or whatever. But you know, it's just it's one of those those superhero things that they have to have like the sweet, awesome, you know, living space. Even though why? Like why would you live in this like pinnacle of comfort? You've seen everything, you've done everything. What what creature comforts does life have left for you? Um, and why would they matter? You can't die. I mean, so if you can't die, does he even need to eat? You know, like what why why even do you need a comfortable place to sleep can you just fall asleep on the street and be good like what difference does it make tent city so there's yeah it's it's just one of those things there are some nice moments where you know throughout the film diesel is expressing because one of the ideas that i think doesn't really get explored but i think is strongly hinted at is that basically vin diesel's been in america in new york specifically since new york started like, like that's been his base of operations, which I have no idea why it would be like, why in the world would a witch hunter move to the new world? Like, obviously most of the witches are going to be back in Europe with a Y, right? Like that's where they're going to yeah. be for a good chunk of time. Well, but, you know, all those you know, Salem witches I had uh, to I guess put a so. stop to those. Yeah. I had to take care of those <laughs> ladies. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, but he's, he, he's been here and you know, he like has that scene with Elijah Wood where he says, I was here when they laid the keystone for that church that's stood here for 500 years or whatever, which really isn't that long. But anyway, you know, so they, they, they've really tried to sort of build him up. Like this is his city. You know, again, it's a very kind of like Marvel superhero kind of feel, right? Like he knows every brick. He, there's a thing later where he gets a clue that he has to find a funeral home with a crab apple tree in it. That's one of the big clues that he gets. And only Vin Diesel would know the funeral home with the crab apple tree in it. I was like, okay, right. Sure. He's really into yeah. trees. He's really into trees. He's really into Google Maps. Spent a lot of time just kind of like zooming around being like, hey, well, I mean, there can't be that, that many witches anymore. So maybe he spends a lot right. of time just, you know, hanging out. Just chilling. Just walking around. Looking at the landscape. Getting to know the streets. Maybe he's like know? our dad. What kind of tree is that? Tell me what kind <laughs> of tree that, that is. Is that an elm? Is that a maple? Look at know. the leaves. Look me. at the shape of the leaves and you'll Look be able to tell. Patterns. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But so the the film progresses pretty quickly. The the main threat that gets introduced is a witch or warlock. I don't know. They don't really Some. make any distinctions <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Magic. But it's uh, Olaf it's it's Olaf for Olafson. Uh, again, you know, a, a sort of very popular actor. Um, they're they're going for like this Viking sort of Nordic vibe to a lot of the characters. So I'm I'm still thinking that's kind of where Calder is supposed to come from, even though doesn't everybody make any that he sense. talks to has an English accent. It doesn't really make sense. Um, but uh, Olafson, he he's done a lot of stuff over here. He got in good with Ben Stiller early, so he was in like the Secret Life of Mitty 
remake that Stiller did, and then he was in Zoolander 2, which Stiller also did. Um, he was in The Meg, which he had a pretty good role in that. He's in one of the Fantastic Beasts movies, I think. So, like, a lot of bit parts. And this one, he's actually pretty big. But he plays this witch, and and the, the they're trying to bring the witch queen back. That's it. That's, that's all there is to it. I mean, there's no beating around the bush. That's what they're trying to do is bring the witch queen back. Uh, the one that Calder killed, right? They've got some kind of plan in place. And so we see a lot of Calder and the new Dolan because Michael Caine's character is is killed or he dies and it seems natural. But then when Vin Diesel goes to his house and sort of runs some magical detective tests, he starts dusting for witch fingerprints, basically. <laughs> they find that there was actually some powerful spell work done there. And the Dolan, the Michael Caine Dolan, isn't actually even dead. He is just cursed. And the only way to lift the curse will be to kill the witch that cast it. Um, which, okay, sure. I mean, in your little universe, if that's how it works, then that, that oh. works. And that's one thing. There is at least some internal consistency. It, they try to build like some rules for how the witch stuff works. Although it's it's very loose. And I, I definitely think the film could have spent a little bit more time explaining how. It's very Snow White, all except it's Michael Caine. Spell can only be broken with Love's first true kiss from the prince. That's right. Or kill a witch. <laughs> Just kill him. That's the best thing to do. Um, and so uh, Elijah Wood becomes the new Dolan and is assisting Vin Diesel as he unravels this mystery. And, um, you know, there's a decent amount of clues sort of spread throughout. There's, there's little discoveries that are made throughout, like Michael Caine's character used blood on his finger to mark pages in his journal, which then sends a message to Vin Diesel about something he needs to remember. And that's really where we spend most of the second act. And that was kind of where I, I was a little bit bummed because I think the second act is kind of boring in this. Um, it, it's, it's solid in that it introduces the new characters and keeps compounding the conflicts. So, I mean, it, it works as a second act should work, but it's just not very interesting what he's trying to do. Um, because at the end of, you know, sort of the discovery that Dolan has just been cursed is the revelation that he needs to remember something about his death. So this is where we start getting the flashbacks of, of how he died. And so we saw that in the opening, which, again, we're going to see we're going to get a little bit of Rashomon here, um, which I'm sure was intentional, where we, we just sort of unspool the story a couple more times and we see variations in what he remembers that basically his memory is not perfect about that moment well he's old <laughs> it, it was a long time ago you know you right? just forget but while that's happening we do get a a sort of indication of how the witch how witch society works in in modern you know new york city and so he uh what did you think of the scene of the bakery this was one of the scenes that i think actually hooked my wife when when we saw that um because we get they Calder's like, we, we got to go talk to this guy. This guy would know if something was going on or, you know, whatever. And, and they show up and it's at a bakery. And the bakery is like lines out around the corner, like people just begging to get in there and buy cupcakes or something. And so Diesel just walks in, which I do love the way he carries himself in this. Like, you know, it, it's not like Vin Diesel has to work hard to project confidence. That's kind of like the only <laughs> thing he does project on screen is just badass confidence but that's one of the things that makes his riddick character work really well is that he always seems in control 
Um, and you know, he's, he's always the most capable guy in the room and he's, he's bringing that energy to Calder, which I think is good. If you were 800 years old and couldn't die, you would have a sort of unreasonable swagger. You would have, yeah, I think. swagger. That's exactly what I was going to say. You, you would have a little. Yeah. I mean, cause like, what are you, what are these guys going to do? Right? Like, what are you going to stop me from walking through your cupcake bakery? No, you're not like, it's just not going to happen. But so they, they get into the back and like the Elijah Wood like takes a free sample or something. <laughs> and then Calder's like, you don't want to eat that. And they go in the back and you just see them dumping maggots into the back. Yeah. <laughs> like measuring out the maggots. And then you find out that they're using like magical potions. Like they're basically spiking this, these cupcake dough with, you know, magic to make people love them. But it's like disgusting at the same time. And so I, I do want to point out a connection here. I, I really, really, really love Lev Grossman's series, uh, The Magicians. Mm -hmm. um, now, I, not the TV show necessarily. The TV show was fine. I did not hate the first several seasons of it, but it just kind of went its own direction. It diverted from the books pretty hard. And, and that's fine. Like the show can be its own thing, but I did not get much out of watching the show once they made those choices. Um, but the book series is is one of my favorite book series ever. And that series also attempted, I mean, short pitch series for Lev Grossman's The Magician series. It's Harry Potter for grownups. That's it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's the same idea, but it's it's for adults. And you hate the um, main character that, a lot. Uh, he is a terrible, terrible person, um, which that's what makes it literary. That's how you turn <laughs> Harry Potter into literary fiction. You hate the main character. Although I don't really care for Harry Potter either. But um, And that's not to say Harry Potter is not also enjoyed by adults. That's not what I mean. Like Anybody can enjoy Harry Potter if that's still your thing. But you after, shouldn't. After J.K. Rowling has you know just sucked all the air out of the room. Um, but but it's, it's, it's more like Harry Potter from an adult perspective, right? Like adult concerns, you know, they they fuck you know like that kind of thing and so like the, that's really the only adult concern <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true i mean that's going to be the main distinction for the new york times bestseller list <laughs> um and so but one of the things that 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 book does really well is establish what a a magical world embedded within our world might actually look like and how that would operate and it's and it they're um one of the characters becomes a, a hedge witch is what they call them, which are basically witches that exist on the fringes of society, right? Like there's proper witches that went through school and had all the training. And then there's witches who fell out of that, but still pursued magical stuff on their own and just, you know, sort of went their own way. And so this movie, one of the things that really struck me about it is that as we start to unspool the world of witches, which is primarily in a couple of scenes that we'll talk about in a sec, is that I, I? It had a lot of that same that same verve to it, um, of what that world might look like, and I liked it. Like I, I think because in essence, Calder once he realizes that he needs to remember something about his death, he goes to a witch in pursuit of a memory charm. He needs something to help him go back into these memories, potentially ones that have been hidden. And when he he um gets to it, she runs a bar, basically, where witches can go and have various, you know, potions that are going to create different effects. So, I mean, it's kind of like drugs, but it's not, you know, my issue with a lot of, like, restaurant and club scenes in movies like this is that it's always like, doom, doom, 
and and they're like all bouncing around and they're you know it's we saw a little bit of it in stuff like Constantine you know that kind of thing it's like it, they always have the same vibe this one was like very chill and it looked like a real restaurant or bar that you might go actually hang out at as a real person and I just I liked the aesthetic of it I liked sort of Rose Leslie's uh, vibe you know like her the way her character looked which you know again this is very it's probably like five years out of date in 2015. It was very much like the, you know, a lot of lace, um, leather pants, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> you know, anytime you see leather pants, you know, you know what you're in for, mm-hmm. but you know, it just, it had a good vibe to it. It was, it was her bar, lo- you know, was architected well. And, and then as soon as Vin Diesel walks in, everybody just nopes the fuck out. <laughs> They're like, we're gone. Even though they weren't doing anything wrong, they wanted nothing to do with the witch hunter. But Rose Leslie, you know, she stays behind. She's like, I'm not doing anything wrong. It's a totally valid place of business. You know, like I'm, I'm good. I'm not afraid of the witch hunter. And so that kind of establishes her character a bit too. I guess we do need to mention the, the, the whole crab apple thing after he realizes that he needs to find a, a uh, funeral parlor with a crab apple tree in the yard. He hunts it down. We do get a cool little scene where we see a kid like picking up giant. Uh, I really liked that. I like gummy bears. I like that too. Tree. That was pretty. Yeah. Like this kid, he's like walking on the street and he separates from his friends for a second. Then he sees these gummy bears, these impossibly like deeply colored gummy bears. And he follows them and he sees this tree of gummy bears and he starts picking them up to eat them. And Vin Diesel snaps him out of it. And he's like, you know, you really shouldn't pick stuff up with your fight on the ground or whatever. And it like immediately changes. And it's like this terrible rotting crab apple tree in this dismal back alley when he'd just seen this beautiful thing. So that kind of stuff I really liked, you know, you know, like dealing with perception and how witches might manipulate that. Um, but he ends up catching the guy that he believes killed Dolan, right? He, he tracks him down and it's this, I think he's Irish. I think he's supposed to be like an Irish, Irish, uh, witch. And, and they have a little confrontation and then he takes him to the witch council. Right. And so we see what happens to witches who get out of line. And in essence, there's this council of witches from, all over. We don't really know where we're really, we only hear one of them speak, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, but when they, they get sentenced, a dark souls boss appears and carries them away to, <laughs> it carries them away to a vault somewhere. Um, I, and that's the first thing I thought of when I saw it, it was like, cause you know, in dark souls bosses, they all have like multiple limbs and they look vaguely like insects or humans or combinations of insects and humans. It's a very specific aesthetic. And this thing was just a Dark Souls boss and it picked him up and carried him away. And, and, you know, so that, that establishes what happens when witches get out of line. He doesn't even necessarily kill them anymore. They just get sort of stowed away in some kind of witch jail. But then he realizes that's not the end of it. The witches don't question him or ask who he was working with. And Calder's of the opinion that the magic that was performed to kill Dolan or, or you know, to, to put Dolan in the state that he's in was way too advanced for a guy like him that he must be working with somebody, but they just let it drop. So he continues to investigate and that's what leads him eventually to the memory charm with Rose Leslie. So I want to talk a bit about Rose Leslie here because I want to know if this is just me and it's okay if it is, but I do not like her No, as an actress. (laughs) I didn't like her in game of Thrones at all. Um, which I, I I will say that I I noped out of Game of Thrones season four season or maybe halfway through season five maybe 
Um, I was, I realized where this ship was headed, um, that they were kind of, once they got off book that they didn't know what they were doing, their care, like it was, it was shocking to me. It was almost like the moment they expended the material in the book, the characters totally fell apart. Like they just didn't know who they were anymore. It was like, you guys have been writing these characters for like five years. Why? What's the problem? <laughs> like you can just keep going in the same vein you've been, but it was, it was very bad. So, you know, I didn't have any affinity or affection for her from game of Thrones. I didn't really love her character there. I was happy when she died. It was totally fine. And then in this, she's better. Like I like her more than I liked her in game of Thrones for sure. But there's something about her delivery that I just don't care for. Mm-hmm. It's maybe it's her tonal expression. Like, cause there are scenes where she just sort of like, well, right after they meet, she, you know, he takes her back to his apartment. She wakes up there and then she sort of steps into a conversation that he's having with Elijah Woods Dolan uh, about their next moves. And she just sort of walks in and it just, her delivery of her lines was just so off-putting to me. And she also has this thing where she constantly like half closes her eyes and looks up into the left as she's speaking, almost like she's thinking internally or something, but she does it all the time. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm being overly harsh because she's perfectly serviceable in this role, but she does absolutely nothing for me <laughs> on screen. And I'm, I just, is this me? Am I just being mean to Rose Leslie? Am I just, am I just a bad person? Well, I guess that's what I'm I asking. didn't like this. I didn't like her either, but I don't have any, point of comparison i have only seen one and a half episodes of game of thrones and it was the first episode and part of the second episode she wasn't <laughs> yeah. in those i don't think but honestly uh, no, even if no, she, she was comes in like i don't think i would remember um so i've never seen any of the other things that she's done ever and and honestly she's not done a lot uh she's done quite a bit of tv um but from the film standpoint she's only done six movies and this is one of them i guess (laughs) this is Uh, a movie this is a film she was in it um but it's just um i don't know it's just it's very strange like she's not bad by any stretch of the imagination and i don't think anybody watching this movie would be like oh part of the problem is she doesn't have any like personal chemistry with Vin Diesel and that could be that yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's a Vin yeah. Diesel thing maybe maybe it, only certain types of actors have chemistry with Vin Diesel but sure maybe but when you again, put a glass I of water feel, next to a block of wood it's just what you get I feel like Vin Diesel and Elijah Wood had pretty good chemistry they do yes so then maybe it's a just lot, a yeah. mismatch of some kind but yeah, all the scenes maybe that's it. That they I mean, were in, that just they were kind of flat. I mean, let's, let's acknowledge the fact here that you know Vin Diesel is 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 an elderly man. Um, you know he's he's fifty. Well, he would have been 49, 40, 48 when he made this, and Rose Leslie would have been like twenty three. Ish. Mm, well, she's thirty four. No, she's 35, so she would have been 30. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's not big of an age. She she reads younger to me. like much The character, younger. I think, is um, played a lot younger 
Because she's supposed to be like yeah. a spunky goth witch. <laughs> spunky goth witch. <laughs> well, I mean, um, no, it's true. I think she's, that's it. she's. I mean, she's punky Brewster, but for witches. Yeah. It's spunky goth witch. Yeah. Um, no, it's. I agree. I just. I. I didn't. And maybe that's what I was picking up on. Not necessarily age gap or anything like that, but just a lack of real chemistry between the two of them. And maybe that's because Vin Diesel's playing this very low key. Um, like he doesn't really get emotional at all in this movie. Um, like a couple of times he gets mad, I guess, and his face like kind of scrunches up. But for the most part, he's, and I'm sure this is a choice where he, he, again, he's seen it all. He's done it all. There's nothing that's surprising to him, but he doesn't ever really seem engaged either. And there are a couple moments like when she first gives him the memory charm, um, which he eats in a cherry, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to, to go about it. Um, she like takes a selfie with him and he hadn't gone to sleep yet to test and see what she was going to do. And, and so like that moment was kind of, kind of funny. Um, but a lot of the time that they spend together toward the end of the movie, which is brief. I mean, they they don't really spend a lot of time together as characters, which Maybe that's the other thing I was picking up on is that she, of course, this is his love interest. So she falls in love with him over the course of the film. Or Which makes no sense. To, yeah, but we're given no scenes that would justify that series of feelings. Like the most emotional f- scene between them is he says, I'm going to keep you safe. That's it. And she so it's immediately like, well, trusts him. She changes her mind completely and is like, okay. Completely. Sure. Yeah. And he does rescue her. I'll keep you safe. Oh, 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 well, now that you say that, sure. Do whatever you want. Obviously, you know, you've, you've murdered hundreds and hundreds of my kin, but you know, yes, I trust you. As long as you promise. And they, there is some justification for that in the story because it is revealed that, you know, she too has a sort of hidden component to, she does these things as a witch, but she's also a dreamwalker. Is that what they're called? Yeah, she can enter Something, your dreams. She's she's a psychic witch. Yeah. She can enter your dreams and influence your thoughts. And she did this to her brother when she was a kid and hurt him really badly. And so she's kind of like tried to never use that ability, but she has it. And Diesel tells us, and I, I feel like a lot of this, there was more stuff. I, I don't think there was a ton of this on the cutting room floor. I don't think it got filmed. But from a, but I, I'm betting in an earlier version of the screenplay, there was more time invested in this, which may have justified more of their closeness because ultimately when it comes down to it, the initial memory potion doesn't work. They get interrupted by the warlock, by Olafson's character um, who do, they don't want him to remember whatever it is that he's trying to remember. And this is the other thing is Olafson's character, this bad witch just appears and disappears at will. Like he just is always in the right place, which again, they're witches, Sure, whatever, they have supernatural abilities to know what's going on. But he always seems to be in the right place at the right time to impede the witch hunter's progress. But at the same time, there are things that happen that we th- that I think we should have seen, right? Because for one, the, the big reveal, the reason he's trying to remember this, and there are some things we'll talk about as he gets to this knowledge, is that when he was cursed or cursed quotation marks and they found his charred body inside this burning tree, 
but he wasn't yet dead, the, the witch queen didn't actually die. Her heart survived. And as long as her heart survives, she's technically not dead. And Calder's immortality is tied to the heart. So if the heart is killed, then he also dies. And so this is like the big secret that the Axe and Cross had been keeping all along from him is that they actually still have the Witch Queen's heart somewhere. And Calder's immortality, his, his very power comes from that Witch Queen's heart. And so they're, they're in this sort of like, you know, symbiotic relationship. And he has no idea. So he remembers this. And of course, that reveals that the heart still exists. And that is where the danger lies. And then in the next scene, the dude just has the heart. He's just got it. We don't know yep, where he got it from. On to this. <laughs> you know, presumably, presumably the axe and cross, like we're not told if it needs to be in proximity to Calder. It certainly doesn't seem like he was on a plane earlier and was fine. So I, I, I presume that he doesn't have to be like in close physical proximity to said heart. But the reason that Dolan was tortured, the reason why the witch tortured Dolan for information and put the curse on him that he did was because he knew that Dolan would know where the heart was. And so we're told that Dolan knew, and then he just has it. So there's that's a big like scene not appearing in this film mm. moment for me. Because that seems like a scene that you would want to show. One, it would establish more about the axe and cross, how they operate, where they operate, who they operate with and for. We would see him, you know, break into this facility and steal this heart. Because I'm I'm guessing that it's not like in a desk drawer at St. Peter's, right? Like, yeah. I mean, wouldn't you presume that the heart is like mm, yeah. in a vault sealed somewhere where nobody can get to it very easily? You know, I mean, at the very least, take it down to your local Bank of America, pop it in the vault, safe deposit box down there, you know, just kind of keep it, Yeah. you know, somewhere secure. Now they do establish that he can like go through walls and stuff that his, his magical tree powers allow him to like go through floors and windows. So again, I, I presume that those are the abilities he used to go get the heart, but why not show us that? That seems like key plot information that you would want to demonstrate and show. If you want to save it for the reveal that, Oh, the heart still exists first. Great. But then cut to, Stealing the heart. Um, but that's where I feel like this movie's world building kind of falls down. They know what pieces are in place, but they either don't have the budget or they don't have the time in the runtime itself to show us some of those things. So we get a very passable understanding of what the Axe and Cross actually is. It's a loose group of priests who work with witches to maintain some kind of peace, I guess. But where do they operate? How do they operate? No one knows. You know, what we just don't know. It's a secret. And maybe and maybe that stuff that they put on the shelf, if we get a sequel, we'll try and explore it. Right? But it seems like at the end of this film that he's gonna walk away from the axe and cross because they betrayed him about the heart. So are we even going to see them in the next film? Are they gonna be a factor in the next film? Because it seems like now he's an independent contractor, <laughs> witch hunter for hire, you know. I hunt witches when I feel like it. Gosh darn it. I mean but how will he know about which activity? How's he going to be fed that information? Presumably it's a huge network of priests interconnected across the world that 
him in I when there's a problem. I bet you in the sequel, the Axon Cross the will be the bad guys. Yeah, that would make the most sense. They become the villain organization. And he actually ends up, because like at the end of this movie, he ends up working, like Rose Leslie says, who says a witch can't hunt other witches? Because um, she's one of these dreamwalkers, so she's kind of an outcast witch anyway. Which he also, they we get this, I, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting production design in this that gets just sort of skirted over. You know, we talked about being out production designed with, you know, some of our previous episodes where a director can quite literally be overwhelmed by the production design of their film and their own style just collapses. This one, it feels like there was production design there and it just wasn't employed. Like they didn't shoot it. They didn't film it. They didn't really talk about it. It's just kind of there. And sometimes that works. Like you can background that stuff occasionally and still kind of have the, the effect of it. But there was a scene sort of later in the film where he takes her to this kind of history room. And it's all of these um, like boss reliefs on the wall showing the history of witches. And I was like, where is this? Who carved this? If you're trying to maintain a secret balance between witches and the, and the rest of the human world, why would you have this hmm. in a like a like a place where you could just go chill out? Because it looks like a it's like a garden stuff. I, I don't know. It's just weird stuff like that. But it's revealed that the Dreamwalkers were like the witch queen's personal guard because they could get in your head and screw you up. So I guess those are the ones we see at the beginning that are like crawling through the the branches and stuff. Those are all Dreamwalkers. And, and that's why they can like cause them to see things and have hallucinations and stuff. So, I mean, that's what's so frustrating about this movie is there's like a nice uniformity to the script. The script is, the script is very typical in its design and construction, but in that typicality, it hits all the necessary beats for it to be a relatively successful script, right? Set up and payoff, decent character moments, solid action beats, but what it amounts to, even though it does all of these very typical things, is just not very substantial. Yeah. You know, there's there's not a lot of meat on this bone. And that's frustrating because it seems like all of the pieces are in place for it to be more substantial. And I, I don't know, man, Some in some ways that feels like Vin Diesel's career. Yeah. You know, like that, whether it's he's drawn to those kinds of projects that have those very peculiar flaws. Or my thinking is, is that those are the types of films that he's worked on for the so long in his career that he thinks that's how it works. <laughs> I mean, I, I, cause like you look at the Riddick movies and that is a, and that idea that these all technically work, the pieces are in place and they are successful, but not enough. Like that, that is sort of like so many of the projects that Vin Diesel has taken in the last 20 years. Um, so maybe it's his instincts for script writing. Maybe it's his requests when, he, cause I mean, he apparently has a lot of creative control over these projects. Maybe that's how he sees movies should work. Maybe right. He's and so not he's not as like, no, creative as he seems. <laughs> and that's always a possibility too. Um, I, I think Vin Diesel fancies himself a sort of hit maker. I think he ha- I think he feels like his instincts about choices in films, where to cut, what to keep, what to move past. I think he feels like his instincts are very strong. And and what I think his output demonstrates is that apart from the Fast and Furious franchise, which again, this is a whole nother beast. And I think 
I think Diesel may not even realize that the reason people are going to see those movies is because they're kind of a joke. I don't know. I think he may he I think he may have learned the wrong lessons from the Fast and Furious franchise. I am <laughs> like, I don't, shocked at the number of people know. who legitimately like those movies. Now I've never I, yeah. seen any of them, just being honest. Sure. They're mm-hmm. about cars, so I'm not gonna see them. There are cars in them. And, yes. Yeah. Uh cars and family. So it's just not it it's a not lot my type family. of movie, yes, but it's really all I've family. seen people talk about those movies. They they like them. They are, those oh, are yes. all no, legitimately loved by the people who watch them as weird yes, as I that mean, is. It, I, I sort of equate it to, you know, like wrestling, you know, like professional wrestling where it's, it's cheesy and it's over the top and it's very self-aware. It knows what it is. Yeah. But people love having it. that attitude engenders it to people. Yeah. Like people look at that and say like, I, I love this because of those things. And, you know, so it's not the the sort of like, oh, wrestling's fake. You're dumb for liking. It's not it's not that like everybody who watches wrestling knows that it's fake. But in the moment, as you're watching it, as you're experiencing it. It it has an ability to sort of transport you in such a way that you find it enjoyable. And that is fine. That's what entertainment is. Right. It's it's escapist in its purest form. And so I'm never going to fault anybody for watching Monday Night Raw. I, I don't even know. And and having a great time when Sting body slams John Cena, I I really don't know, and that's fine. It's not my thing, but I think that you know it's what we're really sort of getting at here is is the popular film formula, right? And there is absolutely a formula for it. Marvel has come in and sort of put its own take on it by with the the extended sort of franchise component, but at at their core, that's what the Marvel movies are popular entertainment we're going to hit these beats we're going to effectively sort of convey these ideas we're going to have these characters that people love and and then we're going to move it through this way like hollywood is is nothing if not formulaic by nature because they want to do what works and it feels like vin diesel's particular formula for what makes a movie work is just slightly off from that you know, truly successful formula. It's just like one degree removed. And, and what I feel like that does for me is it kind of makes me love them more because it's popular entertainment, but with a slight divergence to the left, right? It's just missing its mark just slightly. And I kind of love movies that miss the mark just slightly. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. We do a podcast about (laughs) it. So, you know, God, that should be clear at this point. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what it is. That's why I love the Riddick movies. And I love all the Riddick movies, even Chronicles of Riddick, which is a mess. Like, my God, that movie is just a, he runs a, he outruns the sun in that yeah. movie. Yeah. He outruns light, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, it's fun to say, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I mean, again, I look, I look at something like that and I go like, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's stupid, but I, it's kind of fun. Um, so, I mean, and, and I also appreciate that Vin Diesel thinks about things in franchise terms. And it honestly may have been one of the first people in Hollywood to do so. Like, he doesn't just think about single projects. He thinks about enterprise. And and honestly, without him driving the Fast and the Furious, because Fast and Furious 2 is a disaster. Like, it's a horrible film. And he just wouldn't let it die because he said, no, there's potential here. 
And so then they came back with, you know, Tokyo Drift or whatever the third one was. They reinvented some stuff. They tried different things. And then they hit on the formula with the fourth film, which those are really the ones that I've seen. I've seen four, five, and six, which I think are generally pretty good. In my, I've heard a lot of people say they think Fast Five is the best Fast and Furious movie because it's the most kind of stripped down. Um, it's not as, as bombastic as they've gotten. Um, and so I've seen those and then did my, t- I saw the Hobbs and Shaw one just cause my kids like the rock. So we were like, well, we'll watch this rock movie and whatever. And, and, and it was fine, but it was nuts. I mean, I think they, they fling a car at a helicopter in that one with chains. Uh, it, it's very interesting, but anyway, uh, but I, I think Vin Diesel thinks about franchises. I think he thinks in terms of franchises and you know, that means a lot of the stuff you're trying probably is never going to go anywhere. You're never going to get the chance to franchise it, to have it be a thing. But every once in a while, it'll hit, and then you do get to play in it. So maybe with Witch Hunter, it was successful enough to do that. So I, I like that part of Vin Diesel's, you know, sort of Hollywood makeup. He's he's trying to do those kinds of things. And and that's, that's interesting, especially from a sort of producer-actor side of it. You know, I would think more from a, a studio executive level or a you know executive producer level like your Kevin Feige's you know th- those kind of people that's how they think but it's rare to see somebody who's down in the trenches actually making the film with those concerns and and Diesel definitely does yeah all right so uh, there is another cool scene the initial memory charm doesn't work as we said so he does go to meet with like this fashion model I love the runs runway fashion show. models. This was good. This was really cool. This was a neat idea. Almost seems like one of those ideas that somebody had had percolating in the background for like a super long time and then was finally able to trot it out for this. Although one but criticism. So they, mm, please. Rose Leslie goes with him to see the fashion models and they're all witches. And, and that's established. Mm-hmm. that They're all witches in disguise. And you can catch glimpses of them in the mirror, and they all appear as old hags, because they're witches. But Rose Leslie is surprised by this. Isn't she a witch? She is, but... So why is she surprised at witch magic? (laughs) I I think it's supposed to be that she... I'm guessing it's because she lived in like this little corner of of witchdom. We're not in witch town anymore. Right. We're not in, yeah, we're not in, in Grin Witch Village anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I actually, did, I actually did write that one down as a potential one to use, and there I am. <clears throat> um, so I, I think it's supposed to be one, it, again, it's, it's a typical screenwriting thing. You need the surprised person, right? Because Calder's not going to be surprised. You've established in the screenplay that he can't be surprised by any of this. So you need the person to see it and care about it. Um, and so I guess Rose Leslie got to be that person. But yeah, it doesn't make a ton of sense because even if she's on the outside of being a witch in New York City or whatever, she's going to be aware of the possibility and potential for things like this. Because once it is revealed, she knows exactly how to make it not work. Right. So it, it, it definitely is a weird kind of moment in the screenplay. And so I think that's a, a good catch. But ultimately, this this woman that they go to see, who also has the ability to influence memory, I guess through her hookah. I, I, yeah. Yes, I, I don't know. Um, she's a hookah she, smoking caterpillar, and she blows some smoke in his face. And then he goes sleepy town and remember things. Yep. It was pretty cool though. And 
No, this is a good scene. Like I like this scene. Apart from its problems, it's it's very strong. Because again, it, it's Calder knows who to go talk to if he has a problem, right? He's well aware of all the witches and where they are and what they do, and he's fine with what they do as long as they maintain the parameters. Like all of that stuff is fine. But he she puts him to sleep, and then Rose Leslie actually figures out that she is working against them. And so she uses her dreamwalker powers to to pull him out of this dream where he finally does get a glimpse of, of what had happened. Um, and there's a cool action scene with it, which I, I did want to mention before we get too far away. Probably for me, the best action moment in the film is where he's fighting the witch as he comes out of the first memory charm. Cause he's, he's handcuffed him to like a grate so that he can't move. And so Calder breaks all the bones in his hand. Yeah, that was gross. To, to come out of the handcuffs and then his hand reassembles and puts itself back together and it's all done as a single shot like the hand reassembles puts itself together and then he like swings and punches the witch I did like that shot that shot is is very good maybe the best shot in the film uh, from a, a both planning and execution standpoint because it's very uncomfortable to watch as his hand sort of like disintegrates and then reintegrates that's you know a lot of like bones you know, kind of stuff, typical, typical movie stuff. But I, I did like that scene. But in this one, um, she wakes him up. He has a little fight scene with one of the guards who I think one of them is Kurt Angle, the wrestler. Mm-hmm. I saw him in the credits. I was like, why is Kurt Angle there? I guess he's just friends with Vin Diesel. Like they do a lot of WWE promotions for the Fast and Furious. So I guess it makes sense. Um, so he, you know, there's a little fight scene and then, um, this this beautiful woman that they've been sitting and talking to, she's got this necklace and Calder rips it off and she's like, no, 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 please don't, please don't. And then Rose Leslie, because what she'd made a crack about, did she, did he pick her up at a thrift store or something, you know, referencing the leather pants and the, the lace vest and all mm. that. And then she's like, you know what I love about thrift stores? Everything in them is old. And then she like breaks the, the necklace and the woman's face like falls off. Which, she becomes you know, a hag. She becomes an actual like witchy hag, you know, of the the classic variety, I guess. And that was nice. That was a cool scene. It was like, oh, this is neat, you know. I, again, but the problem is, it feels kind of disconnected from everything before it and after. Yeah. It's, it's literally just a. We're just gonna plop this in here, and apart from what he got out of the knowledge, or, or he still fails to discover what he needs to. So that's that's part of my issue with the second act of this movie is that all Calder is trying to do for 35 minutes in this movie is remember something. <laughs> that's it. Like that's his whole arc for the middle of the movie is I need to remember this. Well, we could take this potion. Oh, that, that, that didn't work. Uh, oh, we could go to the magic hooker lady, the blue caterpillar lady. That didn't work. Oh, you're a dreamwalker, Rose Leslie. You can do it. It's like, okay. <laughs> It seems like something you could have dispensed with faster. I don't know. It just seems like there was for a movie that seems like it's begging for more time in its world and getting to know what's going on. Spending 25 to 30 minutes of your runtime, having a character try to accomplish a single relatively straightforward goal seems like a bit of a waste. You know, I just, I don't know. It was, and watching it the second time, uh, cause I watched it, I watched this a long time ago and then I, I rewatched it for this. I was like, man, that just drags. Like, it's not that the scenes are bad. It's just, there's no forward momentum in the plot for that set. 
Like we don't get any interesting new information. Um, little bits of character information, but nothing new about like the big plot actions. So again, what's finally revealed is that Calder and the witch are linked, right? That's what Rose Leslie with her dreamwalker abilities is able to, to pull out of him. And so of course they make the assumption that they're, going to go get the heart and they're going to resurrect her, which the resurrection scene uh, comes right after that. Again, we, we literally flash to the heart still exists to he has the heart. He's using the heart. Um, and so we do get a confrontation. Vin Diesel kills the warlock, uh, Olafson, uh, his character, which was another thing I was going to get your read on when characters are dispensed in this film, there is no joking around. Like he just throws a knife and kills him the witch guy yeah. like this dude that has been the main antagonist of the film up until this point, like walking through walls, crazy weird branch things that choke you to death, suck you down into the darkness. And then he just throws a knife at him. No match for a knife. (laughs) Which I thought was kind of like, okay. I mean, that's good because we know that they can die, that they're not invincible. Right. But, it was. It seemed like a bit of anticlimax, right? Because I'm a big fan of the structure in in action films where you have like the mid boss, right? I think we've talked about that before. Where I, I like the mid boss structure, um, like Shane Black does it in all of his scripts, where you have a guy that you think is the bad guy, and then you have like a big fight with him, and then it's like, and then it's revealed, oh damn, there's another bad guy, but you still have the satisfaction of dealing with the sub boss, basically. You know you. I beat Craig. Now I get to beat mother brain, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. And so I was expecting a bit more of a conflict here, but it just, he's dispensed, he's done. And now the witch queen is back and she's the real threat, which her whole like rebirth scene was very cool. Again, the, the makeup effects and the production design of all the witch stuff is pretty solid in this. The effects she, in like, this Im- were really neat. You know, they're cool. For it's they're very unique movie for being, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a franchise film. It looked really cool. Yeah. I mean, they, they spent the money wisely. Like the, the stuff looks good for what it is. Um, I like the effects They're They're just well considered, right? They're not too bombastic as to be over the top or distracting or, or look bad, but they're, they're shot. Well, they're conservative. They're kind of nicely apportioned. And I think they reinforce the idea that these witches derive their power from natural forces, you know, like growth. And so that's, you know, all of that kind of works. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a nice universe. There's interesting stuff going on here. Um, but so the witch queen returns and then Calder puts together something that, again, has not. I, I wish they would have talked more about, like, how witches power works right because like they introduced the idea of covens and that covens are witches like linked together to a common purpose that's stuff that we didn't get set up for in the script but becomes very important in this last phase and so i really wish that the film could have shown us a little bit more about how witch covens operate i mean even in the scene in the the uh, the runway scene you know, you could have just simply spent a little bit of time saying like, oh, it looks like your coven's working together well or something like, you know, something to establish that you have a powerful witch at the center and then you have like a, a group of sub witches that align to them in order to accomplish a goal. Because that becomes the end point here is that their witch jail 
the queen is going to go there and then use all of those witches to magnify her own power to cast, what do they call it? The plague spell. Basically a bunch of plague flies fly around and bite people and kill them. I mean, which seems counterproductive if you're a witch trying to dominate people, just murder everybody with flies. But you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. Goals, you know? Yeah. And so she's going to like birth all of these flies using the coven. And, you know, I don't have a ton to say about the third act. I mean, it, it's it's fine. I mean, it devolves into action schlock by the end of it, where Vin Diesel's jumping at things with a flaming sword and hacking those pieces. <laughs> and it's fine. I mean, it, what else were we expecting? Like, really? Like, what did you think this was going to come down to? Is he going to have a, a lovely parlay with the witch queen and come to terms? <laughs> like, no, he's he's going to hack things to death with a sword. And and it's it's totally fine. I mean, I've I've got to say, I think Vin Diesel still has one of the better. He's got one of the better on screen action personas, you know, like he just he does radiate that kind of power, you know, which is not easy to do. You know, it's it's I think it probably comes at the cost of him being kind of an asshole in real life. Like, that's my guess. I don't know. I've never met Vin Diesel. He might be the sweetest guy in the world, but he comes off a little bit cocky and i think i think he is he actually might be a nice person but maybe even erring on the side of really cringy possibly yes yeah a lot of the stuff he had that instagram post where he was trying to get the rock to come back to fast and furious because he pissed him off really bad apparently the last movie they made together like they just clashed because you know vin diesel sees himself as the lead of the franchise and you know you put the rock in something and the rock is immediately going to believe that he's the lead of the thing um, and it's just bald does. men everywhere. And it's just bald, of the highly bald men. muscular men yelling at each other about who's in charge here, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but, you know, it's he did put up that Instagram post where he was like, brother, you know, I just you're an important part of this franchise. You got to come back, you know, come back and be a part of this, this unbelievable history making moment. And then Rock's like, nah, dog, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to go over here and make my own stuff and make millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, and so it was just, it was interesting, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he is a nice, a nice guy, but he, he can project that kind of attitude on screen. And, and that is hard, right? Being an action lead as we have seen from the falling stars of so many nineties and early two thousands action stars is it's not an easy thing to maintain. And it's not an easy thing to keep. And Vin Diesel has kept it for 25 years of his career. And and this is another one that he he projects well. So it comes down to a, you know, punchy, punchy, slashy, slashy. He beats the Dark Souls demon. Uh, and then he he you know, is able to uh, to spear the, the witch queen. And then we get our, our setup, our sequel bait, where he's he's totally fine with killing the heart. And ending his own life, he's willing to make that sacrifice. And then it's Rose Leslie, who during her dream walk with one of the witches to disrupt the ritual, which I mean, all of this is very cool. Like I'm I I know I'm downplaying it and making it sound like it's garbage. But I mean, like in the moment as you're watching it and she's like, I've got to go inside this this witch and break his concentration so that the ritual falls like all this stuff works. And it's it's presented interestingly. It's it's cool. It's a neat idea. Like, I don't want to make it seem like the, that it's it's just garbage because it's really not. But it, it does, you know, sort of, again, it's it's cool ideas versus 
expectations of an action film at the end kind of clashing together. Um, but, you know, all of that comes to an, a head and then we get the sequel bait because Rose Leslie says when she was in there, when she was in that dark place, she saw worse things, right? Other things in the darkness that are worse than even the witch queen are out there and they're just waiting. And he's like, waiting for what? She's like, for you to not be here, right? And he's like, oh. <laughs> and so, you know, we get our our, our thing. So Michael Caine is saved because they killed the the one warlock guy, you know, broke the curse by killing the witch. And then I guess the other twist reveal, which I'm not sure was needed, and actually maybe the thing that I was most disappointed by, is that Elijah Wood is actually a bad guy. Yeah. Um, because here's what in, in watching this again and thinking about franchise and future, what would have been cool is to have, because I mean, Michael Caine isn't getting any younger. Let's, let's be honest. Like the man's a treasure. Uh, it, did you see Tenet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked um, about it on here. We did. Yeah, we did. We did. I'm sorry. I think so. We did. But like Michael Caine looks really old in Tenet. Really, he is really, really old. And he is really old. He's been acting for like a hundred years. He is he is going to be ninety years old. Actually, I think he's eighty nine oh. right now this year. That's so I old. mean, like, if they do continue this, he can't. He's be not going to be able to. He, he can't be. And so you're going to need another Dolan. And and so like maybe they've got that in mind. I'm sure they do. But like I actually think Elijah Wood and Vin Diesel worked. Really yeah, I thought together. they're like I said. I thought they had a lot of chemistry as as a duo, and I love a buddy movie. Nothing excites exactly. me like, like a buddy film. They don't even I mean, have to be if cops. Spider- if Spider Man has done anything, it's helped us remember the value of the guy in the chair, and how much they can bring to the project. And yeah, I just I I kind of wanted to see more of that, but then it's it's revealed at the end that you know he was. The, uh, the the architect of all of this. He was working with the witches to betray Calder by becoming a Dolan um, because his parents were witches and Calder, I, I guess, had them killed. I guess they were, they were bad enough to be killed, but he himself had no witch abilities. And so it was missed. It was thought that he had been kidnapped by them or something. And so he holds this grudge and then the irony is, is he goes to the queen and says, I'll serve you. Or, you know, if you can make me a witch or something. And then she just is like, you can't turn garbage into gold or something. And then she kills him and, and that's it. It's over. And so it's like, well, okay, I get it. I mean, that's a nice sort of third act betrayal twist, but I think that character who I'm not sure that literally was necessary and nothing prior in the film, like there was you know, generally, if you've got an insidious character, you kind of seed those ideas. And and apart from him telling the story of Calder rescuing him from the fire when he was a child, like we get no indication. So it's not even a twist. It just comes totally out of left field. Like it makes no sense in the context of anything else we've seen in that character for the rest of the film. And so I, I really feel like it's a twist for the sake of a twist. It didn't need to be there. I think Elijah Wood would have been better served by remaining in the franchise for future possibilities even if in a backgrounded role, whatever. Because it doesn't change anything. Like, the threat is already established. The Witch Queen is already established. And and the betrayal of the Axe and Cross is already established because they lied about the heart. So we don't need any of that stuff at all. Yeah. 
And all it sets up is that Michael Caine gets to continue being the Dolan. But now in this new role, this new capacity, you know, without the axe and cross, I guess, or, or something. But we know just by the nature of physical reality that Michael Caine cannot be that character forever. So it seems like, well, maybe it's a, a Last Jedi slash Rise of Skywalker situation. You pin your hopes on everything, you know, being with Carrie Fisher and then Carrie Fisher passes away for real. And now you're up shit Creek cause you killed everybody else. And, and you have to use thrown away bits of dialogue from the first movie that you filmed with her that have no contextual reality for the film that you're making now. Yeah. Ooh, Star Wars. <laughs> um, so it's, it, it's one of those things that I, I really, that twist was unnecessary and, and I wish it hadn't happened. It probably is because I love Elijah Wood and I think he's just adorable. Well, and and I mean, it was, he's my Frodo. <laughs> he's everyone's Frodo. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I liked the characters. I liked their little kind of detective thing that they were doing prior to his betrayal. So yeah, that was, that was maybe the one thing that, you know, you can, you can feel it coming. You can feel something coming. Right. Yeah, you know some there's got to be something else coming down the pipe. But I hoped the twist would be better than that. Yeah, and maybe that was it. It was just the twist itself was unsatisfying and then at the at the point that it was delivered and then resolved immediately. Like I mean it would have been different if he got away or something. You know, like if he had um you know, revealed this and then the queen was like, I don't want you. And then he like runs off. So now he's a, a potential threat out there or something. Even that would have been more interesting than have him be like, haha, it was me. I'm bad. I'm the bad man. And then the other bad man goes like, well, we don't need you. So thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, okay, great. <laughs> so um, in any case, that was, that was one sort of issue I had with the ending for sure. Is I, I think there, there's, if you are thinking in terms of a franchise and they obviously are, you've built this character. It's a likable character. It's a good character to have your, what is this world about and what's going on? Why just dispense with that? There's, there's better yeah. options, you know? So, um, Vin Diesel wins. He and Rose Leslie become an item. Presumably. Um, he, Keeps the heart for himself. It is now locked inside the special vault that he keeps with all of his witch hunting gear in his apartment. Uh, the final shot of the film, I guess, is zooming in on that doorway with the cool logo on it, and you know the in the in the background, so you know like the heart continues. Um, and then they resolve to you know go hunt witches. I guess <laughs> you know how are we gonna do it? I don't know. I have an Aston Martin. I can drive that around. Yeah, witches. I guess. <laughs> But Rose Leslie's driving. And then I will say the last shot, which is an obvious CG car, like on a standard, you know, helicopter plate of New York City. It was like, and then look very good. But hey, this is whatever. Uh, and so that's that's the last witch hunter. I mean, that's that's kind of it. I, again, this is a film that I think is equal parts great for all of its world building that it tries to do and a little bit hollow when everything is all said and done. Uh, I was left wanting more and not necessarily in a good way, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's, let's wrap up. I, I think, you know, we've covered the, the ins and outs of this particular project from our good friend, Vin Diesel. Um, 
I am Groot and whatnot. So, so what are your sort of final thoughts on this one? Where do you come down on it? This is a silly movie, uh, but it's fun. Indeed, it's, vastly. I, you know, I don't mind silly movies as long as they keep the spirit of silliness and they don't think that they're anything other than silly movies, which this one almost wants to it's tread close. into, yeah. I am taking myself seriously, but then it is about witches. Yes, it skirts that line, but I think it airs on the side of we're all having a good time. Yeah. And and that's good because if it was super self-serious and bombastic and and this is, you know, uh, this is witch hunting. Uh, well, it would know, have if been it was that, more like something oh like Gods God. of Egypt, which was a movie that took itself far too yeah. seriously. That, I mean, it, and really, if you want to compare those two, I mean, I, I guess the Shazama and Berkeley's or Shazama and Sharpless, you know, connection is is really evident here. Gods of Egypt is the I am taking myself way too seriously component of this. This is what this movie could have been if you didn't have somebody sort of trying to steer it back to the middle of the road. Um, but these these projects suffer from many of the same problems, right? Except, you know, a lot of world building, not ex- not excessive, but a lot of world building, but world building in the service of what? And just an inability to sort of manage all of that information, right? Gods of Egypt just tries to do too much. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe Wish Hunter, because this isn't a long movie. This is 106. Like, and again, we talk about keep movies short, people. Like, they don't have to be these three-hour beasts, um, and so this is in and out pretty quick. I, I think this is a movie where another five or 10 minutes might've actually been a good idea. I think it would have been heard from them. Um, you know, at least potentially, but I, I, from what I could see, they, there were no like deleted scenes on the blur or anything. So I think what they shot is what they shot that, I mean, for the budget that they had, it's probably about right. Um, but it's just one of those like, you know, sometimes brevity and sort of keeping things moving is better because when you get into something like Gods of Egypt, which is this huge, you know, just unwieldy mess, you can run into those kinds of problems where the film doesn't hang together at all. Um, you know, so again, this is one where I feel like they could have added a little bit more Gods of Egypt. They should have stripped most of it out. But it's, it's you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting animal. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. It's not a perfect film, it, it obviously. Uh, if it was, it would have been successful because Vin Diesel's enough of a star to get that many people to go see it. So if it was good, plus that, it probably would have done a lot better. But I think it's it's a lot of fun. And it's a cool world. I think it it builds itself really well. And I think, you know, you do have Diesel as a strong... I mean, you, you know what you're getting with Vin Diesel, right? Like, Vin Diesel movies are Vin Diesel movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you go in with a certain set of expectations and I think that that's fine. Right. I mean, this isn't, you know, we could have gotten a very different Vin Diesel. Like if boiler room Vin Diesel had been allowed to survive, then, you know, I, I might walk into a Vin Diesel movie with more open expectations. But at this point, if I see Vin Diesel in the title or, or above the title, I know what I'm in for. And in that vein, this is a pretty enjoyable one of those. Um, you know, it's not Fast and the Furious. Obviously, it doesn't have that kind of mainstream marketable appeal in the same way. But it is an interesting original fantasy story. The witch stuff is pretty badass. The fighting sequences are totally fine, totally serviceable. 
and then there are some interesting little twists and turns and, and stuff throughout at, you know, so, I mean, in terms of what a Hollywood movie tries to do, I think that this movie gets kudos alone for being an original project, not an adaptation, not coming from somewhere else. I, I like when movies do that. And this one is, is a pretty good one of those. I don't know. It's a good time. Yes, it's a good time. And if, and what are movies if not supposed to be those? <laughs> I mean, I guess sometimes they, they can beat us to death and make us feel terrible. But um, most of the time you want movies to be a good time. And this is a good time. And at, and at 106 minutes, it's not even that big of a time investment. Yeah, I mean, there are worse this ways this to spend 106 minutes. This isn't Spider-Man No Way minutes. Home. For sure. Um, and and in the, and why not spend that 106 minutes cradled in the ample bosom of Vin Diesel? <laughs> Right. Um, I did. There was an interesting thing. There was like a behind the scenes EPK. And he said that, um, you know, he, he has we've all seen the pictures of Vin Diesel when he's not making a movie. Right. He's just kind of a big guy. But when he he's getting ready to make a movie, he obviously increases his workout regimen you know, and he gets in he you know, fighting shape. Yeah. You know, he gets into Vin Diesel shape. And he said that they actually, as as a production team, of which he's you know at the center of, they made the decision because of who Calder was. You know, he's this he's immortal; he can't die. Um, that they weren't he wasn't going to get into that kind of shape for this character. That it was going to be a much more relaxed sort of look um, because that's not where his power derives from. It's not his musculature. Um, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. And and if you look at his physique in this, it's not like sort of his typical fast and furious physique. So it was kind of an intriguing choice. I don't know. It's just one of those things that I, as they were talking about, I was like, oh, I, I didn't really think about that. But now that I look back at the film, I can see like, oh yeah, he is kind of like dressed normally. He's not super ripped. You know, we don't really get the, the shirtless moment in this that typically comes in a, a diesel project. So I, I don't know. It was just, you could tell that diesel cared and he really thought deeply about sort of what this character was and how it would operate. And you can feel that care and craft in this movie and, and yeah. where it falls down and it does fall down. It, it definitely has issues, but you know, when you, when you can tell that people are enjoying themselves and having a good time and making a thing that they're excited about, that does translate in, in film. And this feels like one of those projects. All right. So final verdict on the, the last witch hunter, should people go hunt this thing down and give it a try? Sure. I mean, don't spend a lot of money or anything, but if you see it, <laughs> watch it. It's funny. Yeah. Check it out, man. It's always no fun to watch to. Vin Diesel. <laughs> you know, it, it is, it kind of is. Um, He's a, he's a watchable action star. There's a reason why the guy is at the top of some of the best action franchises. Um, it's just, you know, he has that, that ability. Like it's, it's hard to carry a movie like that. And, and he is one of the people that can do it with, you know, pretty decent consistency. Mm, this movie is available on 4k ultra HD Blu-ray. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Cause this movie, again, this movie does look pretty good. It does. I mean, the um, effects aren't bad. Say, you know, the, the, some of the, the sets are really cool, like the fashion show thing. That was really cool. They're mm -hmm. very brief. It doesn't spend a lot of time in them. Like the Rose Leslie's apartment is neat and 
Mm-hmm. The greenhouse yeah, they went to too. was really cool. Um, even though there was a dead witch in it. Um, dead witch greenhouse. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's some some cool stuff to see. Yeah. So, like I said, uh, again, you know, by our standards, you know, of a failure piece, this is a film that really didn't find its audience. It did okay, but it definitely didn't find an audience. It definitely didn't find a critical audience. Most of the critics didn't care for it. But it's it's one of those films that has more merit than it was probably given at the time and could certainly sort of become one of your low key favorites because there's just enough going on under the surface to kind of give it some some cachet, give it some some heft. Um, And uh, so, yeah, this is a pretty big recommend for me, too. I think this is well worth people's time. It's it's a solid film. I, I want to applaud it just because it's a it's original which we are seeing less and less and less and less of in Hollywood, especially with decent budget, right? Like there's lots of indie projects, great indie projects coming around with original stories, original ideas. I don't want to make it seem like the film industry is, is bereft or devoid of those ideas. But, you know, you look at the field of, uh, you know, the Oscars are tonight. If you look at the field of best picture winners, like it's 75, 80% adaptations. Yeah. And, you know, is that bad? No, not at all. Uh, but at the same time, I, I have to give some props to people who are willing to develop an idea, develop a script from scratch, and then execute it with a high level or at a high level. That doesn't happen a ton uh, anymore. So, yeah, I'd say a thumbs up on Witch Hunter for me, too. Uh, hunt it down. You know, if you can't find it on streaming, uh, again, I think it's on HBO Max right now. Uh, if, it, if it isn't, it was recently. Um, otherwise you might have to get a, an actual physical copy. <gasps> oh God. Okay. At the disc. I got to tell you, man, they're, um, this, this is the time of year when all the streaming licenses renew, apparently like February and March is when most of them get renewed. And I, there, are, this is the time of year where I'm like, I ha- I'm glad that I have physical copies of films that I like because the couple of them were in, like on Hulu and I was like, Oh, I'll watch this on Hulu. And I went to look for it and it's gone. Yeah. I'm like, well, at least I have the disc. At least I can still watch it because I can't watch it any other way. Um, like the alien movies, they're in that weird place where like, technically they're owned by Disney now and you can't watch them streaming anywhere. A couple of them may be floating around, but like you can't watch the whole series. So I'm like, well, I'm glad I have these because, you know, I definitely want to watch alien resurrection <laughs> for, for reasons. Why? Um, Why? Because Pierre Jeunet is a beautiful man and I want to see his work. Uh, did you watch his movie on Netflix? Side note. He has a new one on Netflix called uh, Big Bug, I think. I have not. It's like a woman who lives in an AI, AI controlled house in the future. It's, it's bright and chipper. It looks like Amelie, but it's weird as hell. Oh my God. Like it is, the, it is so weird. But it's good. I mean, it's cute. It's got his sort of regular you know, actors in it. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's very, it's very interesting, but yeah, that is June is still out there. He's still working. So you can check that out if you want to, but still uh, out there. Might still be French. A, still very French and by golly, just loving it, <laughs> loving that French life. And I know it's, it's good. I, I applaud it. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap up. Uh, if anybody wants to find you on the internet and tell you just how desperately they want to look as good bald as Vin Diesel does, where can they do? I have a list of all of my shaving cream recommendations and my top five razors at my Twitter, which is Baskinator. 
That's right. And you can find numerous ads for Barbasol and its various sub products and categories and brands uh, on my Twitter at T Baskin for all of your head shaving needs. Um, and I am sure with a properly shorn head, you too can achieve the level of success. It's all it takes. Vin Diesel has achieved. All That's takes. all it takes. Just a properly shorn human head of exceptional quality. Uh, but yeah, we will see you next time for an additional discussion of Hollywood's failures and failure pieces. Uh, and we will see you then. Bye-bye.